Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Diana Dettinger, best-selling author of the book Most Vivendi, Your Life, Your Way, as well as international speaker and founder of the Meaning of Life School, where you learn to be you. My mission is to connect you to your innate greatness for a healthier, happier, and more filling, fulfilling life. You can find out more about this interview at journeytosuccessradio.com. And my guest today is an amazing, amazing woman, Nancy Lee. Welcome, Nancy. I really appreciate you taking time to be with us today. Thank you so much. You are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, now Nancy and I are co-authors in the book Journey to Success, Volume 2, and her chapter is about the power of prayer. It is, she has a story to tell you, and we really want you to, you know, get these takeaways and, you know, even tie them into, um, tie them into Napoleon Hill, you know, success um, principles, you know, journey to, to success is really about, you know, following these laws of success or the rich riches of life that Napoleon Hill talks about. And it's, you know, the cooperation and the, the taking initiative. It's all about leadership and self-confidence. And Nancy is someone who really shows this someone who was, you know, raised pretty much in refugee camps in Thailand. She's originally from Cambodia. I mean, if I go on and read her bio, you know, she's a philanthropist, an international facilitator for youth leadership. She's the president of Dream Beyond Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Santa Ana, California. And this organization serves the underserved Cambodian seniors in Long Beach, California, where there really is like the highest concentration of Cambodians outside of Cambodia. Now, Cambodia is a country that it sits between, um, you know, Vietnam, Laos, in, in that part of uh, Asia. And I guess I think the population of Cambodia is like 15 million. So the whole population of a country is less than like the city of, of Mexico. <laughs> so she is really there serving the, this, the largest group of Cambodians outside of the U.S. So Nancy has taught really hundreds of youth how to reach their full potential, to adopt good habits. She's a licensed facilitator of Path for Teens by Lori Beth jo- uh, Jones and the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teams that Teens that, you know, is all based on Franklin Covey and his, his amazing books. She's taught, you know, leadership programs in Cambodia and in Southern California. I mean, I could go on, you know, Nancy and her husband, James Lee. Now, he's originally from Korea. Um yes. Have built these three, you know, three school buildings in three provinces in Cambodia. Uh, they're founders of the Summit Foundation in Cambodia. It provides shelter for children you know, from remote rural areas in Cambodia to attend then private schools. Uh, yeah, she has, she has this, 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 this stuff for, for life and really believing in, you know, the potential of the human being. And like I said, you know, I'm really, really honored to have you on journey to success radio today. So, you know, let's, let's get right into it. Tell us about your story. 
Thank you so much. I think you cover it all. <laughs> I think we we need to work together so that we can help bring out the best potential of in um, others and in youth. You know. So I think exactly we youth together perfectly. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, because I, you know, I'm, um, I created a personality and needs profile. And as a coach, I've been, you know, living in Italy for the past 28 years. And, you know, I've been a corporate trainer. And I do love, I love having, I've got four kids. So they, they range from age, you know, 12 to 25. And I do, I love the, the potential of, of teenagers. Uh, working with that age group is so fun. Because I find, you know, nowadays they, they have a connection. They really do have more self-knowing than I think we did growing up back in the 60s or I don't know what generation when you grew up. Um, you know, we just sort of followed the routine in life and, you know, went to school. And there was, it seemed like things were pretty structured. You know, you go to school, you finish college, you get married, you have kids and that. And it's, you know, this new generation, they have so much more creativity and they, I find they have a connection with something that they really want to do that's great in the world, you know? That is so true. That is so true. I agree because I have two girls. And one is turning 19 next month and another one is 23. And, you know, when I was growing up um, in the refugee camp, I was not chasing after my potential. I didn't even know what potential was. I didn't know what passion was and, you know, what dream was. Mine was just growing up and survival, you know, and to see that young generations nowadays they they know what they're doing they are out there chasing their passion and following their dreams so it's amazing to see yeah well you know i think it's it's pretty it's pretty obvious <laughs> when you're in a refugee camp survival is the name of the game i mean what were the most difficult well i mean again i guess as a, as a, as a child what I, this is you know personal personal take on things i think when you have very balanced parents, then they can even make a refugee camp seem like fun. I mean, fun is a big word, you know. Um, but somehow there's that love of community and the cooperation of, you know, we're going to make it through together. But not necessarily do are people blessed with that kind of, let's say, emotional balance, because there are, you know, dangers uh, in, in, in yeah. refugee camps. You know, t- tell us about that growing up. Oh, yeah. Um, It was very dangerous, especially at nighttime, because, you know, you have to keep your doors locked and be really quiet because at nighttime you get um, where I was living is that you have not you have to worry about robbers. And not only that, the soldiers who supposed to be protecting us during the daytime will come back at night and rob us because, you know, during the day they um, guard around the streets. They know what's going on. They see what family has money and they see which family has beautiful girls. And so at nighttime they come back and rape the young girls and rob the family. So it was very, very dangerous. But at daytime, like you said, you know, we we had fun. We, 
get to play around. We play jump rope with our friends. We um, play with towels. We roll up towels and make it into dolls, pretend that it's doll. And we play school and, you know, it's fun. But at nighttime, it's a totally different story. That is when demons comes out. <laughs> yeah. Remember it. Yeah. Well, that's what I, that's what I feel. You know, your story is so important right now, uh, especially because there, there is going to be, and there's an increase in immigration. There's an increase in refugees. I mean, like I said before, you know, I live in Europe and there's at least a million people yearly that if, if not even maybe, I, I think that the, what they're saying is maybe there'll be like a million eight hundred people, you know, immigrating or refugees trying to find asylum. You know, now in, in this year, it's pretty much, you know, Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, uh, Kosovo, even, you know, Albania or Pakistan, uh, Nigeria, uh, Iran, Ukraine. There, there are countries that, that are, are that have a population of, of refugees that are wanting to apply for asylum in countries and not necessarily can these countries hold them. But uh, yeah, I, I believe that this is an issue that we really need to take at heart and, you know, how you have so wonderfully taken the, the fearful experience of living in a refugee camp and then coming to America. How did, how did you come to America? Well, we came to America because, um, I think there was a um, law that was passed for the refugee camps to, uh, for the refugees to come to United States. I think President Reagan signed that um, uh, bill to allow us to come. So then we had one relative who came to the U.S. Um, right when war started, and he was living in New York at the time. So he sponsored all of us in the family who was like, 10 families, I believe, all together, and it was about 30 of us, and brought us over. And there was some tests that we had to pass. There was a um, physical exam that we had to pass by the U.S. Embassy. And, um, you know, one of the exam, the physical exam was that we had to be naked stripped naked in front of our families, adults and children together in a one room while they inspect our body to make sure that I guess there's no spreading disease or um, suspicious wound or something like that. I didn't understand what it was for, but. Um, or, you know, I don't know if they, you know, hiding drugs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so that test we had to pass in order for us to come to the U.S. And we did pass, so we came and we stay. My family and I stay in te Dallas, Texas for a couple of months. And then um, we moved to California where there's more Cambodian. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think there's a lot of... Um, I think it's very important, you know, the, you know, like I said, we, we're, we don't, you know, want to be political or anything, <laughs> but uh, I think it's important for certain cultures to be able to stay with, with people that grew up in the same culture. I mean, if not, we're all going to become uniform, you know, if you can be 
uh, you know, with other people that share the same language and this share the same rituals and the same kind of festivities and the same, you know, costumes, then that is, that, that's how, you know, the, the culture and the roots of who you are, uh, you know, maintain, maintain throughout history. If not, then I think we're, we lose so much written richness in the world without the, those cultural stories being, you know, continuing to be told. And, you know, you work then with a lot of seniors. I imagine, I imagine it is a very beautiful environment because they have really, they, they hold the, the roots of your culture. What goes on like during your, your, your native holidays? Oh yeah. Um, our new year is in April because it counts by the Buddha new year. And that is the season when we harvest rice. So the new year is in April 14, um, April 15, I think April 13, 14 and 15, three days. And so at the senior center, we get to dress up in our Cambodian cultural clothes. We get to dance Cambodia, to Cambodian music. We eat Cambodian food and then we invite, uh, Buddhist monk to come over to do the chanting, give us the New Year blessings. And so it's really, really fun. And we celebrate that every year at the Senior Center. And it's so amazing to see because they wear the beautiful Cambodian outfit. And it's very colorful. Yes. (laughs) That's what I love about about my culture clothes is that it's very colorful. You know, it's because it's lively. When you're looking at colorful things, you just become alive. It's just full of positive energies. And I love that um, about, I love it at the senior center. And they always bring smiles and we always share jokes. There are times when, you know, we talk about the past and where, because what what happened during the Paul Pot Bridge him is that it will always stay with them no matter how much fun they have, no matter what's going on every day. The memory of watching their family kill in front of them, you know, losing family members, and some to this day don't even know if their siblings are dead or alive. So there are some days where they sit down and talk about that and it's really sad but then most of the times it's happy happy <laughs> yeah well I mean it's in it's it's beautiful that you have that kind of environment where you know you can be authentically you can be real I mean it, it's terrible to have to hold in you know nostalgic or sad memories you know, at least there's an environment where there is that dialogue and you can share things and have someone loving just, you know, pat you on the back or give you a hug and say, well, you know, it, it'll be okay. That's the, you know, the importance of having support groups anywhere in life where there's real human contact, where um, there's this, you know, well, well, I was going to say, you know, this faith that, that holds you together that is, you know, the bond of, you know, I guess, human love and cooperation. So why then the, the power of prayer in your book, in your chapter of Journey to Success 2? Well, um, 
Napoleon Hill teaches a lot about you know if you can think if you can think it in your head, then you can make it happen if you have the passion for it. And I also think that you know besides um, having the passion and chasing after it, you also need prayers to make it happen. You know, it's so important to me. It's so important to have prayers. It's just, it's kind of gives me hope that something is out there and it's going to help me bring my passion to life. It's going to help me bring whatever it is that I want to make it and you know to bring it to life so i think power prayer is important (laughs) yes yes well there's your faith you know you can put it in you know any religion or any uh any you know entity a higher entity or you know any kind of divine you know I i think um just based on where we grow up, we believe that it's either, you know, Buddha or Jesus or Mohammed or you know, there's just so many representatives of that, let's say, higher energy or supreme being. And, you know, I, I think now, you know, we're moving toward more consciousness that it doesn't matter what that, what the name is that we give to that, you know, God, let's say. It, it's important, though, to... to believe that, that that we are empowered through that love of you know for ourselves and mm-hmm. that 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 connection with something is actually what helps us expand to help other people you know yes i th- it goes hand in hand you know you can't just sit down and pray without putting actions into it you know after when you pray you also have to put an action to make it happen so I believe it's, you know, it goes hand in hand. Well, have you always, it was, is this, um, yeah, well, how did you get the idea to start the, the uh, nonprofit, you know, foundation? And how, how did you really get into, you know, Dream Beyond Foundation? Well, I was always a compassionate person. Ever since I was little, I was always wanting to help others. And then after I married my husband six years ago, I wrote in my book that um, in my chapter that, you know, I've met my Prince Charming and he saw the compassion that I have for other people. And there was a senior center in Long Beach that was running out of funding and they needed someone to take over to continue the program for the Cambodian seniors because it's the only one that at the time that I know of that support the Cambodian senior is that one, is that organization in Long Beach. And the founder really didn't want to just close it because this is the center where the seniors come in, speak in their own language to their peers, where they a uh, center where they can come in and talk to other people and have do the activities so that they can forget about their pain or the tragic that happened during the war. 
And I was volunteering there for many years before I took over. And so the founder approached me and said, you know, Nancy, I know you have the heart for the seniors <laughs> and, and they really love you. Would you mind taking over? And then, and at the same time, I think the same day I came home and my husband, I told my husband about it. And then my husband was just like, well, you're always volunteering there and might as well just take over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no one better than you knew how, you know, how to get people, uh, you know, involved and organized. And, oh, that's beautiful, beautiful. Do you see how, and this is, you know, probably another principle of, of you know, Napoleon Hill, you know, do more than you're paid for. I mean, I, I imagine a lot of people will have that kind of story where they're volunteering, which is just going out there, like you said, being compassionate with your heart and that volunteering actually led to, some, to, to a job because, yes. you know, you, instead of taking the first step into something mm-hmm. and then and, and feeling like, okay, you know, now I'm getting the money for the job. So I've got to give and organize the projects when you do it with that free heart. And then it just, you know, manifests into uh, something that you, you know, dedicate your life to. That's really, that's beautiful. Very beautiful. And also beautiful that you have, you know, the support of your husband and I, I, you, you do work together, don't you? Uh, yes, we do. Um, he's very, he's also very passionate about the seniors. So, um, we work. I mean, he's he's the man that pays for the programs. <laughs> yeah. So yes, yeah, so we do work together, and. When I need more funding into the program, I just go to my husband and said, "Oh, honey, um, I need a little bit more budget for this." Program. Yeah, super, super. You know, and if yeah. it's if it's serving the community and serving, you know, the heritage, yeah, that that's great. Well, do your um, do your children do they get involved in this also? Oh, my children are very involved from the start. They're ever since. They were little. I always bring them along with me to wherever I volunteer at, whether it's cleaning up the neighborhood, planting trees, or, you know, um, volunteering at events. I always brought my girls with me. So that kind of indoctrinated them. Yeah, yeah. Well, being a role model. They're always helping, and now that they are um, young adults, they're not always at every event that we have to come and volunteer because they'd rather be with their friends, but they still do come and help. Yeah. Well, what do you think? What is, the, what is something that you're most proud of? I mean, you've really done so much, you know, had a very, you know, vast and both painful and joyful you know, life experience. Uh, so I guess when you, when you overcome a lot of difficulties, you know, what is the, what is the one difficulty that you overcame or the one creation that you're, that you're most proud of? Well, the one thing that I am very proud of, I have to say is my um, show, the, the Nancy Lee show. It's a talk show that I um, am very passionate with because you know, we all know that social media and, um, just, you know, the social media and the anything that involves, in, you know, television and stuff like that can reach 
out to so many more people than what used to be like, um, that's, you know, like without Facebook before we weren't so connected, right? And right. Now, and now we're so connected. Every, you know, the world is so small due to the internet, due to Facebook. And so I was, a couple of years ago, I was really looking for ways that I can help my people locally here in California. My people meaning my, you know, native people. We're all one. But um, when I say my people, I mean, you know, the native Cambodian people. I was really looking for ways where I can help the locally and the broad in Cambodia and also um, in Canada and Australia, that's where most of the Cambodians um, migrated to also. And so I was like, how do I reach out to everybody and bring out positive messages, bring out empowering materials to change the mentality of some of the people have? Because even though Pol Pot War has been over 40 years, but the survival mentality is still very strongly indoctrinated in a lot of people, especially the older generation. So it's, there's a lot of corruption uh, that i seen and heard is that, you know, people lie, they steal and cheat. And it's like, Okay, I can understand that you have to do those things during the war because you have to survive. But you don't have to do any of those things anymore. How can we come together as one to make our nation grow, to empower, you know, everyone as a whole again? And so in my chapter, I talk about, you know, I was struggling how do I do that? How how do I reach out to everyone? And then... And so the radio show is mostly... Do you So you, you focus your radio show most on Cambodians, or you find that this is a message that, you know, can really resonate with anyone? It's actually for Cambodian only, um, because I, I speak Cambodian. Uh, oh, wow, great. Cambodian, yeah. <laughs> and... So um, within just a few months, I was able to accomplish it. And so I am very, very proud of it just, you know, because I put the Napoleon Hill teachings into practice. I um, had the creation in my mind and then the passion to chase after it. <laughs> Beautiful. That followed. And then, and with the prayer, you know, and it it all happened so quickly. And Great. We, yeah, we were able to reach out to 70,000 um, 70, audience worldwide. Jeez, that's great. Yeah. yeah, especially with such a focus, with such a focused message and being being that you, you know, you really do stand out as a leader for them, someone who has 
gone, gone through the same thing that they have, that understand the fears that they have and that have then, you know, transferred and, and shifted that into, you know, a, a, a can do, can be, you know, you can change that, that memory and become a joyful, you know, productive person and, you know, contribute to the greater good that I, I love these kind of stories, especially from someone, you know, like you that has really, let's say, seen it all. And, uh, you know, it's easy to talk about the suffering in the world just, you know, through watching, let's say the news and, you know, having compassion for those people. But when you really go through it and, you know, like you said, in the evenings and locking the doors in the refugee camp and, uh, I imagine hearing anyway, you know, the screams and understanding that, you know, wow, was that a friend or, you know, was that someone I know? And, uh, that's, that's tough. That's tough. Really tough. And it's not easy to have a positive attitude about life. It's not easy to maintain, uh, you know, the faith in other human beings. It's probably easier to lose trust in human beings. Mm -hmm. Yes, because, and I think that's the reason why I went through those experiences in my younger days is that, God prepared me for that, you know, so that when I am going around talking to the younger generation nowadays, it's not just, I'm just there talking. I actually experience it. Because when I travel to Cambodia, I used to travel more often before. I used to go two or three times a year to teach the youth leadership. And when I'm in front of a classroom talking to them, then, you know, some of them would be like, well, you don't know what it's like not to have food. I said, really? I live in a refugee camp for six years. Let me tell you what I went through to, you know, find food and how far I had to go to find water and carry it back to my, um, to our camp, to our shelter. And then when I tell them the story, you know, of my experience, and then their, you know, their attitude changed because they're like, okay, this is not some, you know, not just someone come from the U.S. come to talk to me, think they know my struggle, think they know it all, but they really haven't been where I was. And then when I can relate to them, their attitude changed. And then they look at me and said, okay, well, if you can be who you are now, then it's kind of like motivate and inspire them that they can also, you know, be like me or they have the potential in them to be successful. Yes. So I think that's why God prepared me, um, you know, to go through all that experience. To prepare yeah, you're, you're always a more credible, I find, you know, you're a more credible leader when you have, unfortunately, um, you know, gone through the suffering and then you step into that, you know, higher you know, like you were saying that, that, wow, I guess that suffering really served a purpose because now I understand and now I can lead the people that, that want to get out of that situation. Well, what kind of, what kind of advice do you give these teenagers? Just don't ever give up and, you know, go after your passion, believe in your dreams and just go after it. How how easy is it now in in current day Cambodia 
for them to 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 live you know what is what is their main issue is it you know economic stability or uh are there opportunities for you know are we talking about economic uh, growth yeah. is it you know is it possible for them to set up their businesses are they connected you know now more to the internet yes they are they are more so connected to the internet right now and there are so many opportunities for them but um before we started teaching the youth um program there most of the cambodian parents when they want uh, they usually the, the children do not have a choice to pick a career path it's usually decided for you by your parents so if your parents tell you you have to be a lawyer and even though the child wants to be a singer he would have to give up his passion for singing to become a lawyer because it's considered that you are a loyal child if you listen to your parents right wow so, so six years ago we um we when we started the youth leadership program we talked to the um their teens and we asked them what do you want to do when you grow up and they're like well it's not like we have a choice my parents already picked my career or my mom wants me to be this my dad wants me to be that and that and that and and not they didn't think that they have a choice they didn't think that there's opportunities out there for them so i host a um conference that held up more than 600 teens and i invited guest speakers from different fields we had um cinematographer we had film we had fashion design we had um mechanic we had something that was different than what their parents used to the doctor the lawyer and the engineer right and wow after, after the conference we had so many youth came and approach me and they were like i didn't know you can do this for jobs i'm like i didn't. they're like i like fixing stuff you mean to tell me that i can do that as a job and i can make money and i'm like yes you can and then you know someone who was talking about the film industry it's not just about actors you can design the clothes you can design the set you can be editors you can be a script writer you can be a director and it's just like a light bulb <laughs> went on in the auditorium and they're like that is amazing yeah so then they're like oh so how do i tell my parents that i want to do this and not what they want me to do and so you know that's that's is another thing that i'm very proud of is our youth leadership program in cambodia is that we change the perception of you know the young people that they don't have to do what their parents tell them to do or the career path that their parents want not telling them to go against their parents but at the same time we teach them you know if your parents want you to be an engineer but you don't like school <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you know you figure yeah how can you know there are some there are some professions that I find you know you really have to have the drive 
to want to yeah. continue to, you know, study or, you know, finish college, get the master's degree, maybe even the PhD to really excel in something where there's high technical, either mathematics or, you know, things that you really have to love as a subject. And yeah. if you don't feel compelled to do that, yeah, you know, this is, a, it's a fine line. It's a very fine line because, you know, if children, especially teenagers, are too influenced by, you know, YouTube videos, then maybe they all say, oh, I just want to be a rap dancer and make YouTube videos, you know, because there's, you know, you have to consider that. So I, I, I really enjoy the, the wisdom of older generations. Um, and, you know, I admire the, the parents who, who understand the potential of their child. And then also that shift toward, wow, you know, let's listen to, let's listen to the children. Let's listen to the teenagers because they do, when they're left to their own dream, they do have some kind of a calling. They, they can, and they do have the ability to envision where their place in the world is. And it's, it's a very big cultural shift from that, that personal empowerment of a teenager, you know, saying, I really feel called to, you know, I like to fix things. So what I feel my direction in life is, is down that path and creating that support from the older generations that are used to just, you know, making, making the decisions. It's a very, I, I find that cultural change is very slow. So there's the need for, you know, good dialogue, you know, exactly like you said, that, that teenager, how do I tell my parents? And yeah. that's where, you know, they need the communication skills. There needs to be a lot of love and trust and support. And that's the way to shift. But, you know, even, that that kind of um, that kind of pressure I've had in a lot of you know coaching clients of mine that have said that they felt the pressure to you know be a lawyer because the father and the brother were and I have you know a lot of women clients let's say that transition um, they're in either the empty nest kind of phase or you know, they wake up with a, with a midlife crisis at, you know, age 45. And they said, I only studied to be a lawyer because my father was, because my brother was, it took me, it was hard studying, you know, I made it. Uh, but now I want to do what I want to do in life. And I've had this one client, she, she shifted over to like architecture because she says, I've, I've loved always taking care of gardens and people have asked me to design their yard. So I'm leaving that profession. I'm finally doing what I want to do. So, you know, I think, you know, either, you know, later, sooner or later, that dream inside of you knocks on the door so strong that if you didn't follow your life path and dream in the schooling age, then, it, you know, during midlife, something knocks on your door and said, now I want to do yeah. what I want to do. That's true. That's very true. And unfortunately, many um, young generations in Cambodia don't have that choice because they want to please their parents. They don't want to, con to be considered a bad child. And so they would have to give up their passion and dreams and just to be in the field that their parents want them to be. 
So with our program, we usually tell them, you know, if it's a huge difference, if you think that it's not going to make you happy at all, then sit down and talk to your parents about it. And But if it's something that, you know, maybe you can develop liking to it or maybe, you know, you do have um, passion into it too, then it's not so bad. So we have some exercise that teach that shows them how to find their mission in life and stuff like that. And then we ask them, okay, what do you want to do when you grow up and why do you choose that path and stuff like that. And then sometimes they pick something else and then after we do an exercise with them and we say, but you're really good at this, so why do you want to be that? And then we find out, oh, it's because, you know, their friends want to be that and it makes a lot of money or, and they want to make a lot of money so they could support their family. And then it's like, yeah, but you're really good at this, though. And then so we say, you know, if you just do something really, really good at to be a number one or number two in the world, people will pay you a lot of money for it. So you don't don't chase after the money. And then they, you know, they would think twice. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, at least, you know, at least the, what, what I love about this, you know, the work that you do is at least you open a part of their, you know, brain or mind or thinking or heart. Um that there are other options because until you have, you know, a vaster amount of information, then you really don't have like, let's say even choice, because if you, if the choices are only two or three until you realize that there could be a potential of 10 or 20 choices before, you know, those other ones, you don't even know they exist. And so obviously you take the, you know, the path that other people have taken before. And so it's beautiful. The, just the idea of opening people's um, mind to, to choice, there are other things. And, and I find that, you know, if you can uh, help people uh, with clarity, I'm really big on, you know, give people clarity, give them that motivation, you know, that, that you can do it and, you know, set your heart and mind to it and, and, you know, let them, let them experiment, you know, it's always, it's always a personal kind of thing. Experiment the, the, the difficulty and maybe studying to be, you know, the engineer just because your parents wanted it and, 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 and feeling that. And then, you know, as your hobby, play around with this other thing. Um, and that's the way it is pretty much for, for everyone. There's, there's a lot of trial and error in life. And I, I think we can, you know, even like through the questionnaire that you do, help them have more happiness and instead of, you know, the, the frustration in, in making important choices. But the, you know, this is things that are, that's applicable to every parent in the world. It's applicable to every teenager in the world because there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure at age, you know, 16 or 18, choose the college you're going to go through. And somehow, uh, you know, you dedicate all those years to studying that, you know, you, you want that profession and, and very often it's not, what your heart is yearning to do, you know, with your life. Oh, yeah. I totally could relate to that. (laughs) So, uh, go ahead. It took me 37 years to finally find my passion, to understand what I'm passionate for. Because, you know, when I was younger, I was always 
wanting to get into a career that my friends were into, or someone told me to be this, and I, okay, let me go to school for that. And after going to school for that, I found out, wait, I don't like this. And then someone else tells me, oh, you should be this. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. (laughs) And, you know, so I was all over the place. I didn't even know what I wanted in life. And so that is why I'm very passionate about what we do, um, the youth leadership program that we do, is because I wish there was something like this for me when I was young. Yeah, and even now they say that you know the the jobs that these current high school te- to high school students um, will be in, let's say in five or ten years, the majority of those jobs haven't even been invented. So if we're trying to to you know put them down a narrow path of what we already know as jobs, you know they're losing their innate creativity to invent. You know, what I find now, especially there's just this big, there's a big trend toward uh, a consciousness and awareness that a lot of the structures that we have, what is in place holding our society together, it doesn't work. And how I'm feeling it as, you know, or, or have studied it even as, you know, uh, I, I call myself sort of a, an out of the box or a visionary, you know, trainer. And um, there's, there's a whole future that is really open and a future that is even, let's say, empty because we really need people connected to um, uh, a new way, the people that have the guts, that have the courage, that have mm-hmm. the, the vision for how to better you know, structure both you know, business and economics and politics and health And that future right now is pretty empty. So when you can motivate those young leaders and say, yeah, you know, I can see this is the path and this is really what's going to create wellness, which is not just, you know, economic security, but a a wellness, um, which is, you know, physical, emotional, intellectual. This is what I feel. And they can be, you know, the pathfinder. Uh, that is where that is where they can really excel and in creating what I find is going to be sort of a whole new world dynamics. So working working with leaders is especially the youth. I I find they're going to really surprise us. There's there's going to be some amazing young people that step up just like there has been in these past yes. past ten years. You know, that is so true. It's it's, it's great to. Go ahead. Especially with the toddlers nowadays, have you seen, you know, like toddlers nowadays are so smart. <laughs> the babies, the, the, the babies, they're coming with their own knowledge. They're going to show us a lot of stuff. They're going to teach us amazing things in the future. Yeah, well, I've, I've found even as a, uh, you know, as a researcher, I, you know, call myself a researcher in behavior and, and I've been, uh, studied a lot of neuroscience to create the personality profile. And what I have found is that children will, children's drawings, you know, this is if we have parents listening, what children draw pretty much between, you know, age three, four, five, when no one's telling them what to draw as in, in school, you know, draw the flags of the country or, you know, draw a tree. When they draw spontaneously, there is such a message in their drawings 
about who they already envision themselves becoming. And, you know, I I tell parents that, that I coach, keep those pictures and you will be so surprised at age 20 when they wake up and they, you know, one day and they say, you know, I have always dreamed about doing this. And as a parent, you pull out the picture and say, you know, this is a picture you drew when you were four. It was on the refrigerator for a long time. And yes. And that, and so just so, so, so parents are more aware, you know, children really do tell us at an early age. And I find even sort of symbolically, they choose that in, in the kind of Halloween costume or the carnival costume, the affinity, they feel an affinity for a certain kind of person. They feel an affinity for something, uh, but it comes naturally and spontaneously from who they are. And that has a very big message about you know, who they, who they desire to become. I mean, did you feel, even in the refugee camp, and then we'll close up, um, in the refugee camp, did you feel like you were already um, a leader in your own way? Well, you know, it's funny that you asked that because when in the refugee camp, I would say I was probably about eight or nine years old. And among my friends, we were playing classrooms and I was always the teacher and I I never I mean when when I became when I graduated high school I did want to be a teacher but then I realized I don't have the patience (laughs) to be a teacher and so I I decided you know what teacher is not my thing I, I don't have the patience for it but then after I met my husband and he introduced me to Path for Teens and um, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, and I went through training, and then one day when I was in front of the classroom, um, you know, teaching these things, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I am a teacher. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I was like, but the best thing is I don't do it from nine to five. <laughs> yeah, well, the idea is this is even, you know, where the coaching industry has has really evolved. Because instead of teaching, you know, the children just reading, writing, and arithmetic, there's actually the coaching industry is, is uh, you know, teaching life skills or teaching people that want to know and, you know, can, how to connect to their dream or more emotional mastery or how to set up a business. And there are really so many people that I found in the coaching industry that were exactly the same as you. They didn't want to do the nine to five reading, writing, and arithmetic, but they love the idea of transmitting knowledge and helping people on a certain path, be it, you know, to success, be it to career, be it to creating better relationships. And it is, it's all about teaching that that's beautiful. That's beautiful that, you know, you tied that into a childhood natural tendency and now mm-hmm. you find yourself in the classroom, but teaching, you know, leadership skills. That's great. Yeah. Well, how can people, uh, yeah, thank you again for your time. This has been great. How can people find you? Can you give us, um, you know, remind them about either your website or how they can reach out to you, either an email address or telephone number? Oh, gosh. Um, we don't have a website because um, my husband truly believes that your right hand 
cannot know what your left hand does. We, you know, he has that mentality that we don't need to advertise our work because if we really do it from our heart and so we don't have a website. <laughs> well, I believe, you know, I believe it's the same thing. So much is word of mouth, but you're present, you're present on social media. So you're present yes. on Facebook. If someone would want to private message you and that's, you know, Nancy Lee. If, yes, um, you can, you can find the Nancy Lee show on Facebook and um, my personal Facebook, I'm very active. That's the only thing that I'm very active at is on Facebook. We don't have a website to show. Our Submit Foundation of Cambodia, we have a website, but that hasn't been updated in so many years. So I don't even know what's going on in there now. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in sort of the same situation. I have not necessarily, um, uh, you know, excelled except, you know, in the past, in the past year, even with my book, you know, Modus Vivendi, Your Life, Your Way. That's when I started putting up more websites, because when you work in a field that is so much word of mouth, you get one happy client, they refer you to another, someone hears, you know, hears about you, and they're real context because you, you've changed the life of someone that you've touched. You've been in their physical presence. And that is, you know, I find the, the best way to do, you know, business and change lives is really just the word of mouth reference. And, you know, that's wonderful. But a social media presence is important, and especially, you know, your message. And so this can be um, even an invitation for people to go to Amazon and download the book Journey to Success, Volume 2. And your chapter is The Power of Prayer. My chapter is about following your voice to fortune, about intuition. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful experience talking to you, understanding more about your story and your passion and your dream. Thank you so much, Nancy, for being on the call today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And it's so amazing to finally... Hearing your voice, I look forward to connecting with you, and I really think that we will be a great partner to help bring out the potential in others. Well, good. I don't know if I have to learn Cambodian, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put that on the list of... Yeah, I'll put that on the list. I've lived, I've lived in Germany, so I speak German. I live in Italy, so I speak Italian. I've studied Spanish. I've studied some Portuguese. You know, Latin. Well, that that's out of use. But you know, I love languages, so you never well, know. <laughs> might as well add Cambodian to your list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for joining so us today. Much. This is Journey to Success Radio. You can find out more at journeytosuccessradio.com. And everyone, have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtutall.com for details.